0: and welcome to the pack heavy podcast now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision i call this mindset the pack heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organise the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So, if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. Good morning, and welcome to episode 69, where today I have guest Margaret Coons, who is the founder and CEO of Nuts for Cheese, along for a good chat. Based in London, Ontario, Nuts for Cheese is an award winning manufacturer of organic cashew based dairy products that are produced using the highest quality ingredients to create the world's best tasting gourmet vegan cheeses and spreads. You'll find Margaret's products Canada wide in both large and independent retail banners online and now in 44 locations down in the USA. On today's episode, Margaret and I dig right into the mechanics of the Nuts for Cheese business from the seed of the idea right through to their current expansion plan, points of differentiation in an ever-growing and competitive landscape, the logistics of taking on funding and the value and importance of a meaningful company culture and so much more. Before we start today's conversation with Margaret though, just a quick two-minute mention of our show sponsor Foodpack. Now, Foodpack is a Vancouver based company headquartered in Richmond, B.C. and having been in business for well over 50 years, it's fair to say that we've got the experience, knowledge and capability required to ensure that you end up with the right flexible package for your business. We specialise in three specific areas. The first one being stock bags, which you could think of as a turnkey solution, custom printed bags, which is my favourite part of the business and what I do best, and our equipment offering like Cipramac vacuum chamber machines, Plexpack band sealers and repack tray sealers and thermoformers. We also have an outstanding in house service and tech team available to maintain and work on all of your equipment to keep you operational 24 7. So, if you're looking to get into the retail market for the first time and looking for some packaging, or you would like me to assess your existing packaging and equipment program, head on down into the show notes, click on the Food Pack website link and check it all out. From there, feel free to get in touch with me by directly emailing me at hayden at foodpack.ca or by calling me on my work cell, which is 604-360-6790. Margaret, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Happy yep. to be here. Yeah, glad to have you on. It's a, um, I was just saying before we kicked off on the episode that I met you quite a few years ago at the CHFA I tasted your cheeses and it was a memorable experience and um, I've always sort of been watching you from a distance on LinkedIn, but you've sort of cropped up a little bit more because I follow Mike Fatter, and I know that um, you're working closely with him now as he's an investor in your business as well.
1: Yes, he is. Yeah, he, uh someone I've been in touch with over the years. But mm. he was actually um, on a panel of judges for CHFA East in 2020. We just launched our nuts for butter product line,
0: yeah, and
1: that. had um, we were up for an award for uh, most innovative CHFA product of the year. And Mike was actually on the on the panel of judges that uh, gave us the award. So that was um, how we became more connected and, and kind of kept in touch over time. And He officially came on board as an advisor in December and and joined the company as an investor as well.
0: Uh, So we're
1: um, working together towards a a capital raise and he's the the new chairman of our board.
0: Yeah, that's really exciting. What a um, a great opportunity to have a guy with Mike's experience on board.
1: Absolutely. It's been a ton of fun to work with him. And so... it's a huge opportunity for us to, to have yeah. someone who's really lived it and, and been through it and yeah. has seen it all.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we could definitely dig into that later in the podcast. But um before we kick off, where are you from? Where'd you grow up?
1: Uh, I'm from the Hamilton area originally. So mm-hmm. I live in London now, which is where the, the business is based, London, Ontario, yep. uh, Canada's London. Yes. Uh, but I grew up in Hamilton. Uh, my family is all in Ancaster, Ontario, so, so not too far. But I went to Western <laughs> for my undergrad degree. I did a, a degree in English language and literature. I saw that. And um, yeah, during my undergrad, I uh, took a job working at a vegan restaurant in town and really kind of honed my my passion for, for vegan food and cooking and, um, you know, the culinary arts and ended up starting the company in London at the age of 24. So just shortly after finishing my undergrad and yep. been there, I've been there ever since.
0: That's awesome. So you immersed yourself in sort of that vegan world and you must have obviously seen an opportunity out there. So when did you sort of like start mulling over the idea that this was something that you would like to pursue?
1: Well, I've been vegetarian since I was about 12 and I've been vegan since I was about 19. So I have eaten every type of vegan product that I could ever get my hands on at a young yeah. age and you know 15 years ago there was a lot less available than there mm. is now so I started making you know creamy dips and sauces and cheeses from nuts and seeds and you know all kinds of various inclusions um in my late teenage years and through my work at the restaurant I ended up having the opportunity to really develop some recipes uh yeah. developed an interest in fermentation um producing you know um alternative options or or replicas of uh, more conventionally available dairy products and and meat products as well Mm. and it was just a ton of fun for me and i put a cheese board on the menu at the restaurant at a certain point that became a very popular menu item and it was so much fun for me to try out new recipes every week and experiment with different flavors so i took it to a farmer's market. And that was really the the inception was a uh, farmer's market in, in May of 2015.
0: Yeah, yeah, I see that. And so, you know, back as you were suggesting, like when you first started to explore, you know, a vegan lifestyle and diet, there weren't the options that you know, there are today, which is an amazing thing, Um, you know, that there's so much variety out there. And it's obviously a growing segment in the market. And, you know, you just have to go to Planted Expo or the CHFA and you can see the, the amount of businesses that are cropping up in this space. But back when you were getting started in 2015 with the business, you know, you were playing around with these recipe ideas in the kitchen. At what stage did you sort of figure out that this could be something that you could commercialize and, you know, take out into the world as its own unique product?
1: I think when I had first started the business, the couple of years leading up to it, I really had the dream of becoming a restaurateur. And I, I thought mm. that that was gonna be my path. I'd been attending all of these seminars for the city of Toronto of how to own your own restaurant, different you know business building um, yeah. programs through different regional innovation centers. And it, it was really through that um, first foray into the farmer's market where I started to realize that I kind of had something. I started having demands from small independent retailers, local mm. restaurants. Um, small stores that wanted to actually carry the product so you know I I feel like it was kind of a happy accident it started out as a a bit of a summer project and then I ended up you know googling how do you make CFIA compliant food labels and bought a printer and vacuum sealer and (laughs) uh, you know bribed some friends to help me package cheese in the middle of the night and I was (laughs) renting the (laughs) yeah Renting the restaurant kitchen space, I was working out after hours to, yep. to produce the products. So that was my first ever commercial kitchen uh, yeah. that I worked out of. And, yeah. Um. It just kind of started to snowball from there until I was, you know, driving two or three days a week to Toronto with a Toyota Corolla full of coolers of cheese and oh, yeah. delivering small orders to to independent stores. And yeah. Then it was too late. I was in. <laughs> you
0: are in, and it sounds like it. You know, the product was validated very, very early on by you know demand. You know, that's pretty amazing.
1: It was for sure. And I think the other kind of unique opportunity I had was to um, be right in front of the consumers at the farmer's market and at the restaurant. So I had people tasting my recipes, tasting my products, giving me real-time feedback. And I think that that gave me an opportunity to really understand the consumer and have the consumer understand our, our vision as well.
0: Yeah. That seems to be a common thread on this podcast that, you know, the value in being in front of your consumer at farmer's markets, or at least, you know, sampling with your consumers is, you know, it's extremely critical. Were there any, um, early shifts that you made based on the feedback that you received at that time?
1: I think in terms of uh, feedback that we had really early on, we had a lot of flavor requests. So when we were smaller, it was pretty easy to be like, okay, you know what, you want a kimchi and black garlic cream cheese flavor, no problem. We'll do that next week for the farmer's (laughs) market. So I think that was a lot of fun to um, be able to kind of hit some of those demands. And I think early on i'd been experimenting with different ingredient inclusions and mm. we're a very um you know staunchly clean label product we don't use any gums or starches or fillers um, but i was able to have conversations with consumers early on to realize how important that was to them that yeah. you know perhaps i would have gone in a different um direction and you know use something that may have helped add more stability to the product in the early days and i think that the consumer feedback that that was not what the the market was looking for was uh, really helpful in in developing the the product that we sell today
0: yeah I guess the other question that I've got about those early days is, you know, scaling up. So, you know, you were making everything by hand and, um, you know, in small batches. And I can imagine the fermentation process, there's time, you know, involved and, um, you know, to scale it up and just produce more product. It's literally investing more time and hands and energy into getting it out into the world. Did you have to adjust your recipes or was it like you were just doing small batches and a lot of them or did you increase your batch sizes and how was sort of the science and sort of the methodology of increasing your um, production to meet demand? How did you go about that?
1: I think one thing I always say is like a challenge that we've been through over the years and like something that we've um, really worked through as a, as a team and as a company is turning what was a, you know, a recipe from a restaurant kitchen to yeah. a formula that can be produced at scale. Yeah. So for sure, there's been, you know, some trial and error, especially when you don't have funding and you're a small business yeah. and you don't have the opportunity to buy the correct pieces of equipment. You do a lot of um, troubleshooting, a lot of things in kind of a scrappy way to, to make it work. And it definitely requires, um, as you mentioned, you know, additional hours and additional people support. Mm. Um You know, I think it was it was some trial and error. Fortunately, like we scaled up our batches um, pretty organically and with a, a reasonable growth pace. We've, we've had a lot of growth over the years, but um, we've always been making multiple flavors for example so it was never something that like swamped us that you know one day we were fermenting two wheels of cheese and the next day it was 800 yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. so we were able to kind of gradually scale our our processes over time and then add different pieces of equipment that helped um, you know add efficiencies to the process and, and streamline things but for sure there's been like hilarious hacks that we've tried over the years where we didn't have you know proper mixers at one point so we're like maybe we could try a cement mixer <laughs> you know things, things, yeah. Yeah, things yeah, like yeah. that that don't Work, but
0: you got to try it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, just looking at the competitive landscape of you know who's out there, it's it's becoming you know quite competitive and it's evolving quite quickly. And uh, you just have to go into a grocery store and look on the retail shelf, and you know it is busy there now. But the one thing that I identified pretty early on, and you know which set you aside from the others is the format that you sell the cheese in so you suggested you know you sell it in those beautiful triangular slices is that something that mm-hmm. you landed on pretty early rather than selling a wheel and a small wheel
1: I uh, yes, it is actually because I started making um for the restaurant actually like um Larger size wheel and then aging it in a wheel format and cutting it into slices for a charcuterie board style yeah. presentation. So for sure, I think that that's definitely something that sets us apart. And, mm. you know, we're really working to establish like the premium part of the, um, you know, organic like natural plant based cheese category. So, uh, you know, one thing I've always kind of said about um, the competitive landscape is is not so much like more the merrier, but that we're we're all building the category together. So and a lot of the major grocers that we find ourselves in, the grocers themselves are still trying to figure out where they want to place this segment and they've got the consumer demand for it and there's really the art opportunity to, to partner with your retail customers to, to help them build the category. And I think that that's something that there's an opportunity for, you know, other plant-based cheese founders of, of other companies to, to work together on um, creating a diverse offering. Cause if you look at like the, the dairy cheese um, offering, there's so many more people that are becoming plant-based
0: mm. every
1: day or eating yeah. dairy-free for whatever reason, there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different types of dairy cheese on the shelf. So I think it's okay that there's, um, I really clearly defined plant-based category that sure. draws the consumer attention.
0: Yeah, variety. Mm-hmm. Like everybody loves variety, you know, on the retail shelf. One thing that I also noticed is like my household, we are like dairy cheese eaters and uh, coming <laughs> from Australia to Canada, the price point, was out of control like cheese is quite cheap in australia and the quality of cheese is just next level in australia as well it's amazing like you can buy these beautiful like sharp aged cheddars and it's just like regular cheese whereas over here you go into like the the cheese section and you know there's american style cheese and it's a little bit different but it's really expensive and so uh, one thing that i found is like when i was doing a bit of a price analysis of your plant-based cheeses and your competitors cheeses it was very much on like there was a price parity between like a dairy-based cheese and a plant-based cheese, primarily because Mm -hmm. the price of a dairy-based cheese is a little bit higher. How have Mm -hmm. you found it? Like, I guess price parity is really important, you know, for consumers, especially, you know, when they're looking at like meat versus a meat alternative or a plant-based cheese versus a dairy-based cheese, especially, you know, when they're potentially looking to, you know, make some lifestyle changes within their life. Do you think that that is sort of attributed to some of the success that you've had as well in that there seems to be some price parity?
1: I think in terms of, um, you know, comparing our product to a really artisan dairy based cheese, we are relatively on par in terms of price per gram. Uh, that being said, I think that, um, you know, cheese is definitely, you know, as you're saying more expensive in Canada than in other places in the world, but there is also, uh, subsidies for for dairy cheese producers in canada that you know plant-based producers don't have that Mm. that opportunity so i mean we're certainly sold at a premium price point but i don't i haven't found that it's something that's been um you know detrimental to our growth because we are using premium ingredients we're certified organic like we really want to do that ourselves um in comparison with uh high-end dairy cheeses yeah uh, that people can really have the the one-to-one swap without feeling like they're making a sacrifice yeah
0: yeah yeah understood um last question on the competitive landscape. So you've got like loomy foods which carry blue heron creamy or produce uh, blue heron creamery cheeses. Uh, you've got Spreadum mm-hmm. Kitchen and Melissa Mills I actually had on the podcast and she was amazing to speak to and she's just around the corner from us as well. Um, you've got awesome. Field Foods who just acquired Black Sheep out in the interior, and then you've got Bush, who just acquired Pulse Kitchen um, up north of Whistler, and then you've got, they also acquired Salt Spring Harvest. So there's a lot of acquisitions going on. There's a lot of funding going into this space, and people are obviously seeing the value, which must be really exciting for you as well to go, holy shit, like this is happening, and, and I'm a part of it as well. So... With such an evolving and competitive market, like what do you specifically focus on, especially at the moment now that you're sort of at the point where you've extended your business down into the States, um, you're, you know, broadcast your product right across to the west coast of Canada as well. Like you're on the shelf, you're here. So what do you focus Mm -hmm. on to sort of see further growth and, you know, how do you further define your product and your business compared to your competitors?
1: For sure. I think, first of all, I want to say, like, what a kick-ass group of uh, female founders and, and the list yeah. of companies that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Right. I've uh, had the pleasure of, um, you know, connecting with the majority of of the women you spoke about, and you know, Karen from Lumi Foods, Blue Heron, yeah. has been a, a good friend of mine for for many years. And we connected in, in the early days, you know, through Instagram, just were like, you're doing something cool. Hey, you're doing something cool. Let's <laughs> let's meet up and have lunch. And, yeah, I was so wondering I, if I you've read a one, book actually. Yeah, actually, if you open it up, I'm uh, I got to write one of the uh, little forward notes ah, in the right. in her book. Yeah, so we've yeah. we've been connected for some time. Cool, cool. I think that that's something that uh, you know, there's a sort of sense of like um, you know co <laughs> uh, amongst the the vegan cheesemakers. Like I, I've always found a nice, um, a friendly, a relationship with with other people that are uh, operating in the space and a lot of you know willingness to to collaborate and and mm-hmm. support each other, which which I think is really cool. Uh, but in terms of, you know, what we're looking to in, in growing the company and, and developing new product lines and expanding our geographical region and still, um, you know, having our competitive advantages that set us apart from from everyone else, I think it's really about flavor. And I, I spend a ton of time thinking about flavor trends and food trends and spend a lot of my free time looking at at pictures of food on the internet and, you know, seeing what new restaurants are up to, what ingredients are hot and trending. And I think that that's, that's something that uh, is unique about our products is that we do have a really um, distinctive set of flavor profiles that we uh, market across our cheeses and our butter line as well. And that's something that we would for sure keep in mind in terms of future product line extensions is um, you know, what, what flavor spaces are people not playing in what formats are, Um, not widely available or, you know, needing a gourmet high-end option present on the shelf and, and things like that.
0: Yeah. Where do you look or where do you find sort of the inspiration comes from? Is it coming from Europe? Is it coming from down in the States? Or what sort of part of the world seems to be leading the innovation in terms of like flavor creation and in the restaurants sort of world that you were discussing?
1: I think, you know, a lot of the pages I follow are based in the U.S., um, mm-hmm. some in Canada, some in Toronto, some in Vancouver. I think there's a lot of cool food stuff happening in Vancouver and on the West Coast, but certainly like the entire West Coast, California um, as well. There's a, a lot of really amazing foodie culture that that's fun to follow. And then there's some some cool stuff happening in, in the U.K. as well that I, I like to keep an eye on. And, um, you know, some smaller plant based producers over there making different, really unique, you know, yogurts or, um, cheese alternatives or, or meats made from from different things that are uh, not as widely available in, in North America yet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's cool, isn't it? Like, it's hard to get washed up in all of the craziness of the world, you know, that's occurring right now. It feels really heavy. I don't yeah. know about you, but like, you know, the weight of obviously Absolutely. the world, the war going on in Ukraine, you've got like the tail end of what feels to be or what feels to be the tail end of COVID and Black Lives Matter and all of these huge movements that are going on. And yet, there's still these like segments of the world that are sort of like still ticking away, you know, like you can still dive into your world of like, you know, what's going on in terms of flavor profiles and stuff like that. So for me, like when I feel a little bit overwhelmed with what's going on with the world, I just sort of like focus on like, you know, segments of like the industry that I'm interested in and sort of re-immerse myself in that obviously really lucky. I've got, you know, two beautiful kids and a wife and I immerse myself in the family. So, you know, like for me, it's really nice to know that like, even though at times the world feels as if it's falling apart, you you can sort of realign yourself and refocus on sort of like things that just are always there for us. And I hope you find the same thing when you're doing your research in that space too.
1: Yeah, I do for sure, and I, I think that for sure I'd I'd echo that there's a, a lot of big, heavy world events happening and yeah. now and and happen for for some time. Uh, but one thing I find really inspiring about the natural food space and the plant-based food space in general is that there's so many people that are really trying to work towards continuous improvement in their own businesses and their yeah. own lives, and they're they're working to share, you know, feeling better, doing good, mm-hmm. helping um having value and mission driven businesses that are um making positive impact in the world and i find that that's a that's a nice place to kind of recenter myself is to to see all the people that are um you know making businesses happen not just for profit but also for for purpose and for for people
0: yeah you nailed it um you've got a lot going on in that space um you know i was having a flick through your website as well and you are absolutely a purpose-driven company and you're doing a lot for your employees so did you sort of want to give some insight as to sort of some of the initiatives that you've got going on
1: yeah absolutely i think you know team culture is hugely important to us and, and has been from the beginning and i think uh you know, different certifications that we we hold as a company um, have been important to really demonstrate those those markers and those initiatives that we're, we're really committed to. So we are, you know, a woman-owned business uh, certified company. We recently achieved that certification about a year ago. We're also a certified LGBT-owned business enterprise. Uh, we're organic certified. We, um, you know, work with all kinds of different community organizations within our own community and really try to foster a, a work environment that people feel very comfortable bringing their their full selves to work every day. We've yeah. uh, been fortunate to be awarded uh, best place to work um, two years in a row in, in London, Ontario, where we're based. And so, you know, a team team culture and, you know, work experiences is, is absolutely paramount, because we're, you know, creating a premium product, and we want people to feel awesome about the, the, the work they're doing. Yeah. And I think, you know, the sort of big three reasons that people want to be vegan or eat plant-based products is, um, you know, people's health, uh, the environment and, and, animal rights. So I think there's that kind of, you know, altruistic vision, um, a little bit inherent in in anyone who who wants to come work at a company yeah. like that's for cheese.
0: Yeah. You nailed it. Um, congratulations on all of your success in that space too. Um, obviously these things don't happen. It takes a lot of energy and a lot of sort of like, you know, a, it takes a vision to sort of create something like that out of nothing. Um, did you know early on that that was something that you wanted to naturally build into your business and, and create, or was it something that sort of evolved over time as well?
1: I think so. I think, uh, you know, my interests have always been geared to, you know, reflect my, my personal values and, um, I think it's been important from day one for me because my my veganism has always been political, and yeah. uh, you know so has my my feminism. And it's uh, I think that you know intersectionality is is super important from a from a business perspective to to make sure that you're you're doing good kind of on every level that you can. Yeah, um, and I, I think it's a, a huge draw for um, business success as well that you know you're kind of making sure that the people you're working with are happy from the folks that are, you know, working with you to produce your products all the way to the end consumer that's, that's buying your product. Um, it's gotta be a win-win for everyone all along the way for it to, to really be a success.
0: Yeah. And you know, for a lot of people like work's work and home life is home life and there seems to be a clear sort of separation there but I can imagine for you as well like work is life life is work like there's no boundaries so there has to be a natural alignment there otherwise it would be really difficult to sort of put in the time and the energy and pursue exactly what you're doing so it makes total sense to me so yeah congratulations on sort of finding that path and, and staying true to it
1: Thank you. Yeah, cheese is definitely life. And I think it's that, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, you uh, find, what, what's the saying? You you do what you love and uh, you'll work, you know, every minute of every day of your life, but you'll be happy yeah. doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like That's very a- totally right.
0: <laughs> awesome. Mm-hmm. So to grow the business, obviously, it takes a lot of resources. And the primary resource, as you've already suggested early on, is capital. Like you can't really do much without money. So talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, setting up your business so that it was successful in the, in the fact that you've received funding. Um, but also, if you could give some advice to anybody out there who is currently got a CPG, CPG business, and they would love to grow their business and they're seeking investment, what advice would you give them?
1: For sure. Well, I think the first thing I'd say is, you know, it is incredibly hard to grow, especially in a manufacturing business when you've got owned manufacturing and um, you know, physical people working at your plant yeah. without capital. Um, that being said, we really have bootstrapped the company uh since 2015 and have only started raising capital for the first time within the last few months. So mm-hmm. uh since the very beginning, you know, I've had some some friends and family, minority shareholder investment and, and a few bank loans, but it's been it's been scrappy, it's been bootstrapping, it's been, you know, re um. And investing every single dollar that we've made in profit right back into the company and finally it feels like we're we're at the stage where it, it makes sense to be uh receiving some some larger investment to to grow the company and achieve our our growth plans so um you know mike uh, fada coming on board drawer Balshine from soul cuisine recently joined the team as a oh, cool. shareholder as well yeah uh, so we're we're really working on building a you know, incredible team that can help us accelerate the growth and um, achieve those you know next levels of of goals that we have for the for the organization. I think in terms of advice for for other folks, like I hadn't really considered. Uh, you know, you you put your head down and you're you're so in the day to day that it was something that I kind of you know assumed that the the grind was going to be one without funding for for quite some time, and and we kind of hit a point where we were you know, starting to limit ourselves in terms of what we'd be able to achieve in the future without additional resources and um had kind of taken the company as, as far as we can. So I think that my my advice to other folks is, is kind of like take it as far as you can on your own and and see what you can do by by bootstrapping and and you know keeping things really tight because it's just an amazing lesson and discipline to you know really run a business on a shoestring mm. um, do what you can with the resources that you have and and be really resourceful and and then once the the moment comes that you do start to uh, work towards receiving funding or receive funding you'll um, use that money uh, a lot more carefully
0: mm. yeah. You know, I was lucky in that I've um, I've had some great interviews with Laurie Joyce from Better With Ice Cream, and she <laughs> uh, she just finished up an equity crowd sourcing campaign with Front Fund. Are you familiar with Laurie?
1: No, I don't think we've been connected.
0: Okay, okay, you definitely need to follow her on LinkedIn. She's great, yeah, and uh, okay. so we had a really couple. We had a couple of really good conversations. The first conversation or episode was about the you know the development of Better With Ice Cream and sort of how the idea came about. Much like the conversation that we're having today, at which point she sort of gave a little bit of insight into the equity crowdsourcing campaign that. Um, that she embarked on and that she currently had going um since then it's finished up but we had a second episode which was solely focused on it and sort of the value that um that it can bring did you look at any alternative funding sources when you were sort of um, mulling over the idea that it was something that you needed to you know grow your business or did you sort of just think that it would be a you know private equity sort of investment that you would be embarking on
1: for us, I think the strategy made sense that it was going to be a, a private equity uh, solution that we were working towards. But I'm yep. always so interested, and I, I will uh, follow her journey a little bit yeah. more closely after uh, this conversation, because uh, I'm I'm always so curious about how people uh, take you know alternative routes and, and yep. figure out different ways to you know creatively fund their businesses. Mm. Um, so yeah, crowd, crowdfunding is never something that we you know really considered, but I have seen you know so many really incredible examples of it working really well for for other brands.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Um, I think the value in it that Laurie saw was that, you know, it's essentially a marketing campaign. So, you know, not only are you sort of, it's a great marketing exercise to sort of like really refine down how you're going to, you know, further grow in the market, but it's also you're getting people on board that, you know, have got their skin in the game as well and become advocates for your business too. So it was a really good story. So yeah, I recommend go and, and check out yeah. that episode. She was full of information and follow her on LinkedIn. She's amazing. Um, she's a great storyteller. I don't know if you remember the show Cupcake girls do you remember that show from years ago no oh, okay maybe it was just sort of a, a bc focus thing but she was um from the tv series cupcake girls so yeah okay. check her out yeah she's good she's good baby. i will yeah I've, I've
1: not had cable television in my adult life so that <laughs> might be why
0: <laughs> yeah yeah you're probably right but i mean this was made back in like 2010 2012 sort of somewhere in that okay. zone so it was a while ago now it's like 10 years yeah. on us yeah, yeah okay
1: i'll definitely definitely look it up
0: yeah Cool. So marketing, sales and distribution. So obviously three pretty integral pillars of the growth and success of a business. So when it comes to marketing, you've got a beautiful brand out there that you've developed. You know, you've got your lovely wrapping that you wrap up your slices of cheese in. And that sort of, that when I think about when I first met you um, at the CHFA all those years ago, it doesn't feel as if it's changed since then because it's something that's working. And if it's something Mm -hmm. that's working, I know the old rule of like, don't, If it's not broken, don't fix it, you know, don't even touch it. So is that something you've found with the development of your brand? Like you felt as if you knew exactly what it was very early on that you wanted your, you know, the emotional sort of experience for your brand to have and you're stuck with it or is it something you're slowly evolving over time, you know, through the development of new SKUs and so on?
1: I think it's something that always evolves a little bit over time. I think in terms of our packaging and, you yeah. know, sort of brand presentation in general, like we've always wanted to capture sort of that premium, high-end yeah. gourmet artisan experience for people. And you know, the biggest piece of branding that we get the most um positive feedback on and the most compliments is the packaging itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people love how it merchandises. You can have it sitting upright on the shelf, you can present it in a wheel in a deli yeah. bunker. Yeah. Uh it really does kind of like herald that uh, uh, you know, high-end cheese board um, yeah. sharing uh, platter, charcuterie experience for people. And I think it also lends itself well to it being a product that you can include in your favorite recipes. So mm-hmm. a lot of, um, you know, our focus has been sort of that, that gourmet, gourmet culinary uh, experience for people in terms of, you know, creating delicious recipes, but the products that we put on our website, yeah. um, but a lot, a lot of the marketing through social media and you know most of it has actually been very grassroots it's uh, a lot of people making beautiful creations with our product and and tagging us in it we've never had Mm. a ton of money for um elaborate marketing spend or you know um elaborate campaigns uh, but a lot of it really has been people loving the the presentation of the box or the the wedge itself.
0: Yeah. So it's sort of content that's created by the end user, which is really cool. So, you know, obviously social media, there's a really low barrier to entry to actually get the word out about your product as well. How many hours a week early on do you think you were sort of spending on sort of those, you know, the social media piece? Was it something that you focused on? Was it sort of something that was on the side where you were busy in production? Like how did you sort of slice and dice it?
1: yeah i mean i i've always kind of dabbled a little bit in everything so in the early days i did all the social media I did a lot of the production I did all of the sales I did yeah. you know um kind of all of those um, business admin functions as well to this day I'm still the person who runs the social media yeah. I don't don't dabble in production the way I used to unless there's you know a large order and everyone from the office is helping out on the floor right. which which does happen from time to time we've got a very collaborative office team that will That's pop awesome. into the packaging whenever it's needed yeah. <laughs> um yeah but that being said like I probably spend a few hours a week on on social media it's not it's not my area of expertise, I've had no formal training in it, but it's yeah. it's something that we've we've built a really nice organic community and and strong following. And it's been fun for me to have that um, sort of like venue to be able to connect with our our consumers and our fans and supporters uh, directly over the years.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now, when it comes to sales, obviously like you would have started off at the farmers markets, which was a very, very like, you know, personal transaction. You know, you knew your consumers' faces, you pay attentionally even knew their names and saw a lot of repeat business in that space. And then it sort of just grew out from there. And now you're from coast to coast. So, you know, having those personal relationships has probably changed to a relationship with a distributor or a broker and so on. So Talk to us about the early days and sort of how it's morphed over the time. And now, obviously, you're down in the States and sort of how you've managed to build those relationships and grow down south as well.
1: Yeah, I I will say that those, you know, early relationships with direct consumers from the farmer's market, a lot of them I I still maintain to this day. We still have people, you know, writing us on a regular basis. Like I used to buy this, you know, six years ago at the farmer's market. And yeah. You know, I, I knew Margaret when she used to work at the restaurant and, and things like that. So I think that that's so much fun for me to be able to maintain some of those relationships. Um, and, you know, over time, we've had to, of course, m- multiply my efforts that way <laughs> by bringing in people who can help distribute the product and who yeah. can help represent us at store level. And, uh, one thing that's you know been important to building our sales and, and building our brand is still me connecting personally with a lot of our buyers and um key contacts at our uh, major accounts so i still attend you know every sales meeting i possibly yeah. can personally i still attend every trade show so that i can meet um you know every broker rep in in real life and, and distributor rep and, and hopefully some consumers as well uh, but we have an awesome sales team that you know really does reflect the the vision of the company and communication style that's coherent with um you know my original vision from those those early days so we have um you know, people that represent Canadian sales, uh, people that represent U.S. sales. And we've got yep. a, an awesome in- internal sales director, some business yep. development managers that work with her. Yep. And uh, yeah, incredible brokers that really do set the tone well with our with our customers.
0: Yeah, cool. How did you find, you know, the early days of building those relationships? And, you know, when you were evaluating, you know, uh, distributors and brokers to bring on to your team, did you have sort of a set criteria that you were looking for? And you know, did you interview a couple before you landed on who you were with? Like, how did you go about that?
1: Oh, in the early days, uh, yeah. it's really like, who will, who will take you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It's, yeah. So, yeah.
0: Um,
1: but I mean, in, in terms of building the account list from, you know, zero to I think we were at about 70 independent retail accounts before we brought on our first distributor. Yeah. And I would reach out personally to every health food, would, you know, kind of pick a pick a region and reach out to every health food store in the region and say, I'm going to come to Waterloo next week and I'm going to bring samples to your store. Here's our sell sheet. Here's who I am. Here's what we're doing. You know, if you have five minutes to meet with me and do a tasting with the products and really like that's kind of one by one how we got retailers on board who weren't reaching out to us and we were fortunate to have a lot of people reach out to us in the early days as well who you know they they saw an opportunity to have a gourmet plant-based cheese offering because at the time there was really only shreds available yeah. Yeah. and you know as you've seen that the shred market has exploded Massive. um which yeah. is which is cool but there's so many options and it yeah. really I think that was kind of what set us apart in the beginning and around the time that we had I think it was when we had hit about 50 retailers I started to think okay this is a lot for me to be driving this around or using an overnight courier to yep. deliver a product to different regions in ontario and started you know trying to connect with distributors and we started working with some some small regional players to begin with and uh john luca was our first um yep. you know sort of large distribution partner they're incredible and we still work with them to this day they manage our uh, most of our ontario distribution and they've been such a good partner to us from from the very beginning
0: That's awesome. and then
1: in in terms of brokerage you know i with the help of a couple other team members, managed all of our account relationships uh, personally until we kind of got to the point where that was no longer feasible to provide the level of service that we wanted to any longer. And, and then we brought a, a brokerage in to to help support the uh, relationship management.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's great. Did you have any mentors or coaches that you worked with early on to sort of like flesh out what this sort of early growth looked like, you know, back in the, at the start as well? Or did you sort of nut it out on your own?
1: Well, I connected with uh, local small business centers and um, because I'm from Hamilton, there's an amazing regional innovation center in Hamilton called the Innovation Factory. Uh, So, you know, in the early days, I started working with them. They helped me build my first business plan and I entered a... Pitch competition with Innovation Factory in in 2016. They have a program called Lions Lair, which is like the Hamilton version of Dragon's Den. And right. I was a, a winner of that competition and actually got to take home like sixty thousand dollars oh. in cash and in-kind of services, which was huge for the yeah, business at the time. I got like twelve thousand yeah. dollars in marketing and twelve thousand dollars in accounting and and things like that. So that was. um Enormously helpful for me early on, but I also connected with uh, someone who's been like a primary mentor to me for almost the entire lifespan of the business. And I think it was 2016. Uh, and uh, his name's Mike Jane, and he is um, a former CFO of Pepsi uh, oh, wow. Canada, and uh, worked with General Mills and Deloitte. And so he, you know, really brought the the finance expertise as well as the you know company structure, how to how to build a brand, and yeah. has a, a ton of you know marketing and and sales smarts as well. So met him through, um, my mom had actually moved into a new, uh, house and had invited all of her new neighbors over for, for a cocktail party. And he happened to be in attendance. And I think I was sampling cheese in Toronto at the time. And my mom's like, there's this guy in my living room. You got to get over here and meet him. And, uh, so I, I drove over there on my way back from the demo and he just like grilled me for half an hour. and was like, yeah. you're still working part-time at this restaurant. What are you doing? You got to quit. You got to follow your dream, like make this brand a real thing. And, just like I was kind of spinning after that conversation, like who was that? And then you know he called <laughs> <Yeah>. me <laughs> yeah. a week or two later. Like you know I think I could think I could be your mentor. And uh, he he's been with the, he's a minority shareholder in the company as well, and wow. uh, has been has been with me ever ever since. So yeah. yeah, hugely hugely grateful for for that relationship. that's shaped the business over
0: the years. Yeah, you know having somebody in your corner right from the start makes a huge difference because they can see something in you that you potentially can't see in yourself and in your business as well. So yeah, that would have been awesome to sort of get that little boost and sort of you know did it give you the confidence to go yeah this is something that I'm going to do like this I am going to quit my job and I'm going to invest all of my time and energy into this is that the push you needed or did you think that you're almost there and it was sort of just the nudge that was required
1: I think I'm a bit of a personality that was like I can do it all and so you know I think at the time I was probably like oh yeah I can work you know 100 plus hours a week and be fine forever yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, so, yeah, I think it was the push I needed. And I think it's just like, you know, having someone really believe in you and kind of tell you, you know, you've got something here and you, it deserves your your full attention uh, was was helpful to me at, at the beginning.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, okay, now exporting down into the usa is a huge deal especially for a canadian business just due to the size of the market like it's insane i was saying a couple of weeks ago and i can't remember too oh it was to melissa from spread because she's just uh mm. she's entered down into the u.s market as well um here on Amazing. the west coast yeah and i mean there's a greater population in california than there is in australia alone like it's insane and yeah. <laughs> um so you know going down into the states it has the potential to make you and it also has a potential to break you just due to the the vastness of the business and you know the amount of energy required to get down there as well. So before you entered the US market, what were you considering? You know, Did you bolster any particular parts of your business to ensure that you'd see some success? And did you engage in any programs before you went down as well?
1: We didn't engage in any programs. We have um, similar to the TAP program that's in uh, Vancouver. There's something in London through the Small Business Centre and the London Economic Development Corp that does provide some support. We have connected with EDC Uh, as well just for you know advice and guidance and uh, a few you know U.S. based mentors that that helped us kind of figure out the logistics and Mm. you know how to even just ship something to the U.S. but we started slow Uh, we started with you know a couple accounts that we were shipping directly to and then a small distributor and kind of similar approach to we took in, in Canada and certainly shipping directly to small accounts in the U.S. Is, is a loss leader, but it allowed us to kind of get a, a foothold and, and figure out the demand and what the cost would be before we took it to a larger scale. And I think, you know, a lot of people talk about how hugely expensive it is to, to play in the U.S. market, especially coming from Canada, and they're, they're not wrong. Uh, so I think that there's definitely like a, a margin consideration there. And, um, and, you know, knowing what your promotional costs are going to be before you take too big of a leap. And, it, there's also, you know, longer times to receive payment on on orders from yeah. U.S. distributors and, and things like that. But we've been super fortunate to, um, you know, gain a foothold in, yeah, over 44 states in the last, you know, year and a half. And it's, it's gone really, really well. I think, you know, all things considered there for sure, it's, um, you know, challenging with freight and, you know, shipping smaller orders yeah. and, you know, right. larger program fees and and things like that. But generally I think our experience has been, you know, hugely positive and we've had a really warm reception and into the U S.
0: Did you have to adjust your uh, retail price points or recommended retail price points, um, just so that you could etch out the extra margin required or, you know, what was your approach there?
1: We actually started uh, a little bit too high. And I think that we we went into the US market with a, a much higher price point than we have now. And I think yeah. that that was sort of, um, you know, with the assumption that it was going to be you know, we're going to be blasted out of the water by the, um, you know, fees and programs Mm. and shipping and and everything like that. And we've had the opportunity over the years to, to bring that down. So, uh, we are, you know, relatively, um, on par with the exchange rate with our, our pricing in Canada. Um, and a lot of that's been due to, you know, building volume kind of warehouse by warehouse. So we're, we're sold, um, across the country with UNFI and Keiki and some smaller distributors as well. So it's really been building up the volume at, at each warehouse mm-hmm. uh, in order to, to keep the, the margin in, the, in a good, healthy place.
0: Right, so you ship down to a distribution center in the States, do you? And then they store it and then they're distributing it out from there. So you're shipping to what, one or two central locations?
1: I think we're in uh, 19 distribution locations across the U.S. now. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, so so they're they're it's pretty regional. So you know, UNFI and KE and you know all of the other players will have many many warehouses each, and we're kind of opening up region by region. So we'll get some we get a chain or some demand from a group of stores and in one area, and then we'll open up that
0: warehouse. And yeah,
1: yeah, I think I think we're at 19 currently.
0: That's amazing. So you're just receiving POs, building pallets, shipping them out that's what it looks like.
1: Basically. Holy. That's what it looks like (laughs) on a good day. Yeah, on a good
0: day. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Cool. So I can imagine that, you know, over the seven years that you've been operating the business, there would have been multiple failures or apparent failures that have, you know, sort of set you up for your current success right now. Do you have any sort of memorable failures that you can reflect on? That's
1: a good question. I think in terms of Memorable failures. I think the the biggest thing that kind of comes to mind is uh, a failure to find work-life balance. Yeah. Uh, yep. And that, you know, c- comes up over and over and in all kinds of different manifestations. And I think that that's something that's been a huge lesson uh, for me is that mm-hmm. if you don't have the work-life balance, if you don't find balance and and you know all aspects of your life and prioritize self-care you can you can burn out because there is always something to do there is always work to do and even if you work 24 hours a day it still wouldn't be enough so I think it's it's kind of balancing that that drive um, that most you know entrepreneurs have to endeavor into something crazy like starting your own business and trying to manufacture products that you're going to sell all over mm, the place yeah. Um. and and you know finding what's what's reasonable and sustainable so I think that you know there's been a few times that you know it's Throughout my career, that it's um it's gotten out of whack, and you know the work has taken precedence over you know finding you know good. I'm a Libra, right? So I'm I'm always mm-hmm. seeking balance and mm-hmm. uh, and, and never quite finding it. But uh, that's that's sort of like the biggest um you know I think piece that I'm I'm constantly working on. But in terms of like there's there's little failures every day, and I I don't really call them failures. I, I call yeah. them opportunities, yeah. and yeah. I like to look at it that way. It's like if you're not if you're not failing at something, then you're not Doing trying. anything, so there's yeah, yeah, exactly. There's you know constant opportunities. I'll call them for <laughs> improvement, and we're definitely like a very continuous improvement-minded um, organization. So yeah. working to to get better every day.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, my grandfather, who just passed uh, two weeks ago, actually, he's um, oh, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. He was an amazing man, and he had some amazing sayings that he used to tell me as I was growing up. And one of them is, "If you're not making mistakes, you're not trying." So mm-hmm. yeah, I it, like that. It brings very <laughs> true with what you just said. Yeah. Um, this sort of question dovetails nicely into what you were just discussing. So if you had the opportunity to go back and whisper into your ear back when you were getting the business up and running with the knowledge that you currently have now, what would you tell yourself?
1: I think it's uh, you know, striking it's it's like I mentioned, striking that balance behind between um, you know, getting really excited about things and also not taking things too seriously is yeah. uh I think as an entrepreneur, when there's tons of things happening, you can kind of be on this like pendulum ride of an experience of, you know, one day things are amazing and the next day, and you you know, you see those yeah. sort of charts that are like, here's what life is like as an entrepreneur, and it's like a you know, bar graph is like up and yeah. down <laughs> yeah. of uh you know riding some some roller coaster. And I think um, you know, just to, to Keep yourself level and and focused and um you know calm enough to be able to achieve the things that that you're working towards it's uh it, it's really you know striking that experience of, of never getting too excited about something and, and never worrying too much about anything either because either way you're gonna have to push on and um i think just kind of trusting that you'll you'll figure it out uh when you
0: need to yeah and you know it's it would have evolved as well like you know being a a team of one you know doing everything to now having employees and you know leading a team and sort of being you know setting the the standard and also the air of the business and sort of like how you want the business to operate you're sort of like that your demeanor is sort of like what is going to determine the way that everybody else is feeling within the business as well so how did you find it like I guess you'd worked in kitchens before you'd managed the restaurant and the cafe before or sorry the restaurant before in the kitchen before so like leading a team wasn't something that was new to you but like have are there any sort of key lessons in terms of like leadership or management style that you could sort of impart on everybody?
1: I think that what you said is absolutely true that, you know, the way that you are um, kind of in any aspect of your life is going to impact the team. And so I think it's, it's about, you know, striking that balance of making sure that you know expectations are clear and also communication is clear but um you know that everyone's trying and i think people that have joined your organization when you are a founder and you're starting something from nothing people are taking a chance on you and yeah. um you know they're going to need support and encouragement and it's different than having a, a big corporate structure where there's going to be you know this is the way that we onboard people this is the yeah. way that we do this it's, it's something like yeah yeah <laughs> so
0: yeah
1: we, you know like all all of that yeah <laughs> and, uh, i think you know you're asking people to to wear a lot of hats and so i think there's there's something around you know keeping your expectations high and yeah. keeping people motivated to to want to do better every day but understanding that you know you're probably not hiring a c-suite level person who's got 25 years of experience when mm-hmm. you're you know starting something that's grown from a farmer's market and so yeah. they're they're growing with you and it's yeah. uh, it's really about you know yeah. bu- building the building the ship together as it's yeah. uh, going out to sea
0: <laughs> yeah that's really well said Margaret, if we were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you had had your best year ever, what would you have accomplished?
1: Oh, good question. I think uh, fast forwarding a year from now, what I would love to see uh, is some, some new product lines launched, which I won't say too much about today because it's... Still in development, but we're looking to to launch the new product lines uh, early 2023 that we're, we're really excited about. I think, um, you know, having, a, we've got a nice national foothold in the U.S., but I would like to find, um, you know, expanded distribution and and really, you know, some some great brand awareness in, in all of our regions across the U.S. And to continue to, you know, focus on building our, our category captain status in Canada as, uh, you know, uh, being a leader in the, the premium artisan plant-based space and I think that those are all all huge wins. I think, you know, building the the team that is continuing to be really excited to to grow that with me. We've got an incredible team now and you know, we're growing. So we're gonna keep adding adding team members over the next year. So those are those are some of my big goals.
0: Huge. Bring it on, eh? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great. If
1: if you're not trying.
0: (laughs) Yeah. If you're not making mistakes, you're not trying. Exactly. exactly. Well, listen, congratulations on all of your current success. And I'm really excited to keep watching you grow over the next 12 months as well. And uh, I'm excited to meet you again at the CHFA trade show coming up too. So you're going to come out. No worries. Where do you know which booth you're in or do you know any of those details yet?
1: Uh, we are in, I'm not sure our booth number actually, but LeBeau is our Canadian broker. So we'll okay. be in uh, in their aisle. But yeah, definitely, definitely come say hi.
0: Well, that's awesome. Well, yeah. So for anybody listening out there, I strongly encourage you to head on down to Margaret's booth and taste some of her product. It is seriously delicious. Uh, not just saying that, I'm telling the truth. It's really good. And um, yeah, if anybody wanted to reach out and say hello or ask you any questions, uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch?
1: I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So people can find me by my name, Margaret Coons. We're also uh, on Instagram at nutsforcheese, Facebook as well. Uh, But to reach out to me personally, LinkedIn is probably the best avenue.
0: Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed digging into your business and yeah, hearing all about your founding story and what led to where you are today and all of the success you've had. So thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it.
1: Amazing. Thanks so much for having me on. This was a lot of fun.
0: You're welcome. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye for listening today if you have any questions from today's episode or would like to know more about what i can do to help you achieve your packaging vision you can reach me directly at hayden at the you could dm me on instagram at the podcast, or we could also connect on linkedin and start a conversation there i will see you next week